Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm Fazia Costi, and I'm an executive function coach here in Arizona. And today we have a, a wonderful return guest, uh, Matthew Huff-Hines, who is the co-founder of Inspire Services, is here with us today. So welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you for having me, Fazia. It is my pleasure. I, I think very highly of Matthew. Matthew actually um, has worked with my family, uh, specifically my dad, for quite a bit of time. And so I really think very highly of Matthew's work. I think very highly of Matthew in general. So I'm really glad to have you on the show today because I, I think you're very good at what you do and, and you're a good guy, all around good guy. So I, I really appreciate who you are. But before we get started on some of the questions about your work, do you mind telling us a little bit about uh, you and, and your background so that our listeners can have a little bit of a refresh? Because Matthew has been with us on the show before, but today we're going to talk about a different topic. So go ahead, feel free to talk about your background and, and a little bit about you, Matthew. Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm a speech-language pathologist, so I specialize in communication disorders, and that can range from social skills, what we're going to talk, talk about today, to um, articulation, so kids who can't um, maybe say sounds right, to individuals who have dementia. And so um, I come from, I have a speech-language background, so I see communication kind of in a scientific way, and I also am co-founder of Inspire Services, which is a social fitness outlet for individuals with acquired disabilities or developmental disabilities. And what we really focus on is getting those individuals engaged in the community and improving those underlying social skills. That way they can have an improved quality of life. I got in the field about 2014, so I started as a habilitation worker, and so that's where you go with an individual, one-on-one, -on -one, running goals. Sure. My way up to a speech pathologist assistant, speech-language therapist, and now um, I recently graduated with my master's degree, and I'm the speech-language therapist now. Well, congratulations on your new accomplishment, Matthew. I, I know it's well-deserved. Um, so we're talking about communication, specifically about social skills today. Um, most people have an idea of what social skills are, but I think it means something different to different people. What is the definition that you go by? Yeah, so when we think of social skills, when we think of it in everyday language, we can think of it as um, making eye contact, appropriate questions, appropriate comments, maintaining body language. But when we think of it from a... Um, a speech language or more of a scientific standpoint, we're thinking of language and talking as um, when we talk and we communicate, everything's for a social purpose. And so in, my, in our perspective, when we think of it, um, we kind of break it down into form, which is, <clears throat> which, which is how sentences could be arranged. We think of, morphology, which is like word endings, and that's like uh, plural, so like S-I-N-G, and then we have content, 
which is vocabulary. So how can an individual use vocabulary? So for example, if a kid doesn't have, or even adult doesn't have the vocabulary necessary to communicate with other individuals, it's going to be hard. One of the things when we think of vocabulary is we could think of slang. So let's say if somebody said, man, that was, like nowadays kids will say like, man, that was fire. And so if a, a kiddo or an individual doesn't understand the figurative language and what fire means, if they think it's an actual fire verse, that was fire, um, that being cool, they're going to have a hard time relating to their peers because they don't have the vocabulary. And so when we think of like vocabulary, the way we can construct sentences, so simple sentences versus complex, tone of voice, all those things go into what we call the use and the social rules of language. And so when we, when we look at it, we're really looking at all forms from the basic level, from word order, all the way to vocabulary, and then how we and then how individuals use that in their daily lives. Wow, that's a lot more complex than I think most people thought it would be. Um, how do you assess social skills when you're, when you're working with somebody? How do you assess what, what their needs are? Um, so when we assess social skills, we, we do um, a couple of things. One of them might be what we call an informal assessment, and so that's just going to be um, depending on the age, if it's a little kiddo, maybe we're just playing and I'm going to follow the, the child's lead. So whatever they like to play with, whatever toys they like um, and activities they like to do, I'm going to kind of follow them and try joining in with what they want to do. And what I'm looking for is um, what we call joint attention. So the ability to for us to stay on one topic together. So let's say if we're both playing trains that we're able to play together um, I'm looking for how they play. Are they playing with the toys properly or are they um, playing with them atypically? So instead of, for example, if they're playing with trains, are they pretending it's a train or are they just lining up the trains in a certain order? So we're looking to see if the kids are playing with their toys properly. We're looking for um, flexibility. Can they transition? And we're going to talk to the parents and really kind of understand what the kids are struggling at. And then we have formal assessments, and that's more of kind of your, your diagnostic work. And so there, you have certain sets of questions. The parents can answer certain activities on these um, formal assessments that will give you what we call a standard score, and that just tells you, and that just tells you um, where the kid is at compared to their uh, same age peer. So let's say you have like a five-year-old or six-year-old, um, it compares them to a bunch of other five- or six-year-olds. And then if we're working with older individuals, um, typically the parents already have a set of things that they're struggling at, or um, we'll go out in the community and we'll have conversations, and you'll be able to see um, by that kind of the, the strengths and difficulties. So a lot of it is informal testing, just a lot of getting to know the kid, watching them, observing them, finding their strengths, finding their weaknesses, and then kind of going from there. Thank you. That, that was a very nice uh, response. I appreciate that very much. So who do you normally work with? Who, who needs your help? So we work with um, a lot of people. So our main populations are individuals diagnosed on the autism spectrum disorder just because they're, they're, one of their core deficits is social communication. So in order to be diagnosed with um, have a diagnosis of autism, you have to have repetitive, restrictive behaviors. 
and then you have to have a deficit in social communication. So a lot of individuals we work with are autistic. Uh, are autistic just because of that social piece missing. But we work with a, a range of people. We have individuals who um, just want to improve on social skills. We have individuals with other developmental disabilities, such as um, Down syndrome, just intellectual disability. And then we also work with older individuals who may have cognitive disabilities, so dementia, Parkinson's, because... We now know that cognition and thinking is very interlinked with language and social skills. So when something goes wrong with um, the thinking in the brain, social skills are also affected in a way. So we work with sure. uh, pretty much a gamut of individuals. Yeah, absolutely. So anybody who wants to improve their social skills could call you and say, hey, how can you help me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when we think of it, social skills is a spectrum just like anything, right? We have individuals like, um, for example, like math. Elon Musk is amazing at math. So he's all the way up there. But we have individuals like me who aren't so good at math. I barely passed algebra. So, um, <laughs> uh, but I can still improve on math, right? So I can still kick up maybe to like calculus, but I'm not going to be on Elon Musk's level. We can kind of think of it the same way in social skills. There's individuals who are excellent at social skills. And we know some individuals who may not be able to read a room. Um, and so what we want to do is just push that scale a little bit further. Um, not going to say you're going to have, we, we're not going to, we're just trying to push that scale so they can improve in social skills step by step. So, um, can you when explain we look at it on the spectrum, we, go ahead, finish. go ahead and finish. I'm sorry. Oh, no. So yeah, I was just going to say it's, it's on the, it's on the gamut. So depending, we just want to push the individual, whoever working with, just improve, keep on improving, improving, improving. Wonderful. Can, can you explain to our listeners what reading a room means? Because I'm not sure everyone understands what that means. Okay, yeah. So reading a room is um, kind of telling, is there tension in the room? Is the room happy? Um, we know some individuals can, and that kind of goes into reading body language, right? If I make a comment, am I looking at the individual's body language? Did I upset them? And it's just being able to, like, when you walk into a room, does the room feel happy? Does it feel tense? Some people are able to read that really well, and then some people aren't able to. So when we're reading a room, uh, I don't want to hit on the engineers or the mathematicians out there, but some of them have a hard time (laughs) being able to maybe read the room or that emotional processing and being able to understand the mood of the room or how um, people may feel. But then there's other individuals who are able to, um, who are very nurturing, are able to tell that somebody's upset and um, those different things. So being able to read the mood of the room is huge. And it's just, a, like I said, it's a, it's a spectrum. Some people are really good. Some people are really bad. So the individuals um, we work with, and we, we help, we just kind of push that, uh, oh, you know, just push it, push it until we get to um, improvement. Wonderful. Is there like a, a time in someone's life where it's um, the best time to teach them social skills or is this like a lifelong process? Yes. So we know from, from the research that the younger, the younger you are, the, the, more, the more your brain picks up and learns faster. So if you recognize or you as a parent or caregiver are worried that your kid or your child might be experiencing some social deficits, 
it's important to start early um, rather than later because when you start later, your, your behavior patterns and the way you are already kind of set, so it's harder to change. But when you're young, you can kind of mold the mind a little bit easier. And so starting from a young age can really um, help. And then when we start from a young age, it's a lot more play-based and a lot more fun compared to when we're working with adults. It's more, you know, let's sit down and work on these different type of skills. And so just like with learning a language, it's easier to start as a child and develop these skills and continue to practice them rather than um, starting as, you know, later in adulthood or teen years. But there's, there's no perfect time to start, right? And the most important thing is that you get the help necessary. So whether it's a child, a teen, or adult struggling with social skills, you want to get them the help. That way they can develop those friendships, those relationships, and just have an overall qual- higher quality of life. Right. And, and earlier you were talking about how you work with people with different challenges and and sometimes you get people as an adult. So you might get somebody who maybe has a traumatic brain injury. Can you work with somebody who's had, you know, you talked about dementia and other cognitive issues, but what about somebody with a brain injury who, who had maybe perfect or wonderful social skills at one point, they had a brain injury, and now they have some cognitive issues and some social issues. Is that uh, uh, an individual that you work with? Yes, we do. So we know with a traumatic brain injury, especially if it's, in the front side of the brain or the right side of the brain, they're going to so- show um, social deficits. And some of the social deficits we see with traumatic brain injury are impulsiveness. So um, let's say you're at the store and you see a wa- like a water for sale, um, like water's 50% off. Maybe instead of buying two or three, they might want to buy the whole thing or verbally impulsive that they can't hold back um, some of the comments. Um, we see lack of theory of mind. So theory of mind is being able to understand how other people think and understand and how your behaviors affect them. So for example, if I say a mean comment to you, I know that that's going to affect you and hurt you. So I'm not going to, but some people with traumatic brain injury might lose that ability. And so they'll make comments and not fully understand, um, how it's affecting them. And then with traumatic brain injury, there's also, they also have something called asyknosia. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's hard because it's, they're aware that they have a disability or they're lacking in this thing, but they're not fully aware. So sometimes these individuals with traumatic brain injury may not want the help because they think they're fine or they may think they have like a little problem, but they aren't fully aware of how, how big the deficit is. So we do work with individuals with CBI, and so a lot of that would be like impulse control, um, emotion processing, and then making comments that are on topic. Okay. Well, um, so when you work with these individuals, how long do you typically work with somebody? We typically do anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on what the individual can handle. So if it's a, if it's a little kid... Um, it might be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. And a lot of that is going to be um, me helping with the parents coming in and us working with the parents and kind of giving the parents some tips and strategies, uh, as well as kind of us working with them. Because we see the kid for once, a, we see the individual once or twice a week. So what 
especially when they're young, we like to give the parents the power to, um, to have these strategies to help them. So we like to do 30 minutes an hour for the young ones. And as they age, it becomes an hour to an hour and a half, just depending on how, um, how much the individual can handle. And then um, our settings kind of vary. So sometimes we're in the home. A lot of times I like to go to public places because that's where we can really practice those social skills are in um, different, different public places. And for how long do you normally work with somebody as far as duration? Do you, like, do you work with them for six months, a year? Is it a lifelong commitment? What does it look like? Um, we typically, uh, it's, for us, it's, um, it, it depends, and that's, it dep- it's dependent on the parents and the client and the individual and what they feel is, um, is right. But typically it's a few years to maybe even lifelong, but, some parents just want tips and strategies, right? So I've gone into a, and worked with a few people that I only do maybe two or three sessions, but I've given tips and these things and the parents feel like they're okay with it and they can continue um, to work on that. And then I've had some individuals and some clients I've had for five, six years now, and it's just a continuation of just getting better. So it's really dependent on the client, the individual, their wants and needs and a big part of that is really getting to know the family and the individual and understanding what their goals are and helping them achieve those goals okay so what are the underlying functions that go into social skills so when we think of the underlying the underlying functions i know earlier i mentioned that like thinking is really tied into language and so when we think of, of social skills and language, we're gonna, there's a couple underlying functions. One of them is theory of mind, and that's the ability to, uh, that's perspective taking. So can I put myself in your shoes? Uh, so for example, individuals with, on the autism spectrum disorder, lack theory of mind. And so they have a hard time understanding how their behaviors and their comments can affect other people. And one of my favorite stories is I was working with um, an individual. I think he was like 19 or 20 at the time. And we're working on positive comments. And I go, uh, and it's me, uh, one of my assistants, and then the individual. And I'm like, okay, we're going to work on making a positive comment. I want you to make a positive comment about her watch. And then the individual looks at her watch and goes, eh, it looks cheap. And so even though even it's funny because in the moment we told him we're working on positive comments, but even he, he still struggled with that ability to make that positive comment. He just said what's exactly on his mind. And that's that theory of mind part. He was unable to recognize how his comments could affect that saying, Ooh, your watch looks cheap. will make that individual feel sad. And so that's that theory of mind part. We help people on is that perspective taking and then so when you work another, with him, is it, I'm sorry, is it just repetitive work that gets him where he needs to be? Um, to a to a certain point, you can practice and 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 you could social skills is not. Um, there are certain activities and different things you could do. Um, not, repetition is good, especially at a younger age. But yes, a lot of practice, a lot of practice, and. 
by that, I mean not just sit down and work with somebody, but in the real, like, in the real world. So one of the tips I give parents is, like, with young kids is have the kiddo or have the individual talk in the grocery line. Like, have them say, hello, how are you? And make a positive comment to um, an individual, you know, working at the grocery store. And then that, that's more real-life practice, and they get that um, kind of that natural human interaction versus just sitting with me and us just doing, like, drill and kill work. So I like to um, kind of lay the foundation, and then we go out and practice. Okay. And, and I did not mean to interrupt you. You were talking about another example. Okay, yeah, and the other one, um, one of the other underlying functions is emotional processing. So our ability to express and understand emotions, and that's hard for anybody. I know for me it's hard, especially with my family, is to kind of express how I'm feeling. Um, I don't know, and I don't know why that is, just um, being able to, you know, say you're wrong or, you know, I'm upset because of this. So being able to express emotions and understand those emotions is a big part. And so we work on a lot of emotions, emotion processing. So looking at faces, um, video clips, going through different like scenarios and just being able to help those individuals recognize, you know, what does somebody what does a sad, you know, a sad face look like or a frustrated face or confused or, um, or even more complex emotions like um, one of them is like elated, excited, confident, um, accomplished because a lot of these kids will, and individuals will be like, I've never felt that. I've never felt accomplished or I've never felt nervous. But those are basic human emotions um, that they have felt. So we try to um, we try to pinpoint a time where they felt like that. For example, um, we were working with an individual that said they never felt embarrassed. Um, and so I provided an example of a time that I felt embarrassed, and then they were able to be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's what it was. Um, and they were able to describe a time that they were embarrassed. So it's helping them identify these emotions that they may not be familiar with. So helping people identify their emotions sounds like it's a pretty big part of your job yes it is it is um and that's and that's really interlinked with the social skills is can we and goes back to identifying a mood in the room right when you walk into a room can we tell is it is it tense like can you like can you cut it with the knife or is it a happy room and so helping these individuals understand the body language and the faces on these individuals will then give them that theory of mind of, okay, ooh, I see an individual who has a, maybe like a mad looking face. Maybe I should, you know, maybe I should make a nice comment or maybe I should um, wait a minute, let them cool off and then go talk to them. Right, right. So just not only identifying it, but navigating the way through that situation is important. Yes, very important. And then, okay. um, so we have that theory of mind, the, the emotion processing, and then something you're very good at, executive functioning. Uh, executive functioning plays a big role because you, um, you need to be able to organize your thoughts. You need to be able to um, 
plan out like different activities or, or situations. So executive functioning is a big one that we kind of help individuals with just because it helps um, structure their thinking. Um, I, I mean, you're more of an expert on that. So yeah, well, <laughs> you could probably and, chime and in on that a little bit. Exactly. We could, we could work on that. Um, you know, we could do a whole show on that alone. Um, I, when I work with individuals on the spectrum or with um, traumatic brain injuries or the same clients that you have, I work with them in a completely different way, obviously. So when they have executive function challenges, I usually focus on improving processing speed. I work on flexible thinking, which is part of organizing your, you know, part of that is organizing your thoughts and being able to problem solve better and, and just really able to express yourself in a more effective way. So um, I also work a little bit on emotions when I work with clients, but not to the depth that you work with them. And that's why I like what you do. And that's why I refer to you sometimes, because I think you do something in, in a completely different way, but you get so much more success because you're doing it one-on-one in the real world, whereas I work more in my office. So I, I think that's fabulous. You know, um, we are actually going to take a break here in a minute. Um how can people get a hold of you, Matthew, if they wanted to get in touch with you? Yeah, so you guys, if you want to get a hold of us, you can visit our website, which is inspireservicesaz.com. And that will have our contact information as well as the different packages we offer. And then our phone number is 480-468-6320. And you can also um, give us a phone call if you'd like. All right. So, um, and Matthew did a wonderful presentation um, and a summit for me back in the beginning of June. The presentation is housed on my website and on my YouTube channel. My YouTube channel is Fazia Costi, and my website is Executive Function Coach Feel free to go there, check out Matthew's um, uh, presentation there. Um, it's it's really. Uh, well done, and he gives a lot of wonderful information at that uh, during that time. So we'll be back after this break, and we'll continue talking to Matthew Huff Hines. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Fozzie Acosti is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Fozzie works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fazia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Change your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Costi or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. I'm Fazia Costi, and today we are talking to Matthew Huff-Hines of Inspire Services. Welcome back to the show, Matthew. Thank you. Yeah, so we talked quite a bit about what social skills are, um, how you help individuals who have different challenges with their social skills. What I'd like to talk about um, moving forward is why are early uh, signs what, what are the early signs of social deficits? And, and maybe talk a little bit about the tips that you offer parents. Yeah, definitely. So some of the early signs, one of the biggest ones, um, and this has to do with kind of related to individuals with autism spectrum disorder, is the ability to, the, the ability to orient to their name. So, for example, let's say a one- or two-year-old is playing with toys, and you say, Matt, uh, typically developing and typically developing individuals will be able to orient and look at mom and dad. But some of these individuals with social deficits, let's say we keep saying Matt, Matt, but they're not looking. Um, so being able to, or, and they don't look at your, um, they don't look or they don't turn around or acknowledge you. That's one of the big uh, telltale signs of early on is orienting to their name. And so if you are, so if you have a hard time where you're like, my kid is just playing with, keeps playing or it doesn't like look at their, um, doesn't look at me when I call them. That's one of the big signs we now know is, um, being able to orient to your name at an early age. Um, maybe eye contact is eye contact is a big one. So how often is the individual looking at, um, your face and your body language versus maybe looking at environmental things. So let's say you're talking and having a conversation, uh, the individual and the kid should be maybe, you know, looking at mom, looking at dad and have their body, their body turned towards them first. Uh, let's say mom and dad are talking, but they're, they're, they keep looking around at different things in the environment and, and that's to the extreme because we know kids do get distracted easily, right? But it, you're going to, sure. as a mom or as a dad, you would understand, be like, ooh, um, maybe he's doing this little, a little more than I think he should. Um, and we always saw that, you know, parents are the expert of their kids. So, you, so the parents would have a feeling of, okay, maybe this is maybe a little bit abnormal. Um, and then that's when you want to go get something, something checked out. Um, and also how they play, right? Are they playing with other kids? Are they um, engaging in imaginary play, like playing house, um, playing dry, you know, playing monsters with other kids? And how flexible are they, right? When they are playing with friends, are they only playing with, are they, are they able to play with 
and do things that their friends want to do or, or are they only doing things that they want to do? So kind of what you mentioned earlier is that, that flexibility. Sure. And then if, so, if parents do want to get in contact or if they are nervous or they do have questions, a good first step would be going to the pediatrician or your primary care physician and just expressing concerns. And then they'll usually refer out to maybe a speech-language pathologist or a psychologist for further evaluation and assessments. And then that's where you can get really uh, going on the social, you know, the social skills and practicing those different things. So when you start, so let's just say the parents identified there's an issue, they've gone to their pediatrician and they end up coming to you and they say, okay, I just want you to teach me some very specific things that I can work on with my child. What are the things that you would teach a parent? What kind of things do you think a parent would need to know? Does it vary by age or is it all pretty much the same regardless of what age the child is? Um, it, the, the activities will vary by age because if you have a teenager, you don't want them doing little kid activities. But the, the foundation of what you're working on is going to be the same. So what we kind of talked about earlier, the executive functioning, the emotion processing, the theory of mind. Another big one is storytelling. So the ability to, to narrate and tell stories is a big one. Those are the things that we're going to practice. So if you're working with a little kid, let's say um, we might read, uh, we might watch a, a, a short, I like to do Pixar short films with some of these kiddos because Pixar short films are silent films and it's a lot of reading emotions and body language. So we'll watch some of the film and then I'll pause it and then I'll be like, oh, how does he feel? And they'll be like, oh, he feels nervous. Well, why does he feel nervous? And then they'll kind of explain it. Um, I do a lot of, for like five, six-year-olds, we do a lot of um, like toy, like imaginary play. So I have a kid who loves um, superheroes. So a lot of the times we go and do um, like imaginary play with superheroes. So we'll have a, a like a, a thing we want to do. So it'll be like super, last time we did it was superheroes at the pool. And so we would, I'd, I was these- Batman and he was... Sorry, I'm sorry. Are these like tips? No. Are these tips for younger kids or are these tips for older kids? Uh, sorry. These would be for younger kids. These are ones okay. for the, I guess, younger kids. And then I'll move on to the, to the, um, to the adults. So when we're working with younger kids, like imaginary play is a big one because imaginary play kind of interlinks with that theory of mind, being able to pull yourself from a different perspective. Right. So like imaginary play, a lot of kids like to play, um, like, let's say, like, the girls like to play like mom. And what the kids are doing at that young of age is they're, they're having this, they have the ability to be like, okay, this is what a mom does. And they're able to put themselves in a position or pretend that they are a mom. And so we do a lot of imaginary play um, with the kiddos. And one thing we do is like, I like to do with toys and it's just a script like, hello, how are you? And them having that good social interaction that you would typically have, um, but we're doing it with toys in a kind of an imaginary way. Hey, Matthew, you're um, breaking up again. Is there like a, another place you could move to <laughs> in your yeah. house? To, it sounds very windy. 
Um, how is that? Much better. Thank you. Okay. Um, another activity for all, for young kids and adults of all ages is um, <clears throat> reading books and different, um, re- reading books and asking different questions for books. So um, if we're using, if we're working with a younger kid, we might read a book um, and I might ask WH questions. So when a conflict comes up, you know, why does he feel that way? What's going to happen next? How, um, how can you tell that individual sad or nervous? So when you're reading books to your, uh, when you're reading books to a kiddo, you can stop and look at the pictures and kind of talk about the pictures, um, or the, even what, or, or just the book in general and what's going on. But you want to kind of relate it to like that emotion processing in the body language and different things like that. And with older kids or, or adults, um, we can, you can be a little bit more frank, right? You can read passages or you can discuss things about how, um, how your behaviors are going to affect different people. So you can, um, you can be a little bit more frank with the, the, the older individuals and actually show them, um, <clears throat> read things that are more, more concrete. Um, another activity is, um, we like to work on his body language. Body language is a big one. And so sure. just having that individual be able to maintain, you know, appropriate body language. And that's a big one. So a lot of times for the young kiddos, we create what we call a listening spot. And so that's a physical, like we have little dots that we put on the ground because some of these kiddos might wonder or they might turn around. So we give them like a concrete, like physical dot for them to sit or for them to stand on. And that kind of orients them in space. Like, okay, I need to stand here and I need to face the person who's talking because some of the kiddos might like wander off and then walk back. And so having just like a a physical spot where they can stand and you can talk to them um, really helps. Or um, that's a bit, that's one of the ones we use for kids. And if it's, if it's an adult, a lot of times, once again, we just discuss, okay, we call it full body listening. And that's something um, from a curriculum called social thinking, but we go over full body listening. So essentially you listen with your full body from your head, from, from your ears, to your eyes, to your mouth, to your chest, to your heart, to your feet, to your hands. So we talk about how all those things go into being able to, um, to be able to listen to be able to have that appropriate body language. And so with the older kids and older individuals, we use full body listening and we go over definitions. And if they're younger, um, we just, we use different vocabulary. So we might say quiet hands or um, quiet feet. And a lot of those individuals will know that means, you know, oh, maybe I need to stop moving my hands. So I'm going to have quiet hands. And then we show them what quiet hands are. And then another big tip would be, the actual talking of the, the actual talking of the conversation part, because you have um, the body language, the theory of mind, but then you actually have to converse and conversate. So then we kind of break that down into, okay, we have questions you can ask. A conversation is essentially a mix of questions and comments. And we kind of break that down to the individuals <clears throat> and we teach them different type of questions to ask and then different type of comments that they can make. And for the questions, a lot of, this is where some of the drill comes in. 
for the questions, we talk about um, social greeting. So that's a lot of drill work. Hey, how are you? How's your day going? Uh, what's up? And that you can kind of drill in them that. So every time you see somebody or you see a friend, you say, hey, how are you? And then once we go from kind of the social greeting, the social greeting, we can move into uh, what kind of questions can you ask? So you have follow-up questions. So if somebody says, uh, I went to Hawaii, a follow-up question may be, um, what did you do in Hawaii? Or uh, what was your favorite thing in Hawaii? That would be a follow-up question. And so we really break that down. And I use visual cues that have pictures um, or if the individual can uh, read, I'll have like written cues for them to really understand that process. So I like, it'd be like step one, social greeting, step two, um, you know, follow up question, something like that. So it's really, it puts um, something abstract more to, to making it more concrete. And then we also talk about, um, we call them baiting questions. So baiting questions is when I want to talk about something, I'm going to bait you into it. So let's say a kiddo really loves dinosaurs and he gives that social greeting like, hey, how are you? And so he's going to bait somebody into a conversation and say, what's your favorite dinosaur? Um, And that may come (laughs) off as, uh, and that's okay and that's good. That's what we want, but you don't always want to control the conversation. And so another rule we teach is that your first question or your first comment should always be about the other person. Don't make it about you. And that's not a hard rule, but that's what we like to teach them in the beginning. Don't make it about you, but let's make it about the other person. Think about the other person and ask that question. And so uh, that's what we focus on because some of the individuals will do baiting questions and kind of bait them into a conversation that they want to have. And then, right, on the flip right. side, you have the, and then on the flip side, you have comments. So instead of um, maybe starting a conversation with a question, you can start it with a comment. And so you could, you could say like, you know, hey, how are you? What's up? And then you can say, oh, man, I like your shirt. And then, you know, that individual be like, yeah, I got it from Tilly's or I got it from PacSun. And then the conversation can start from there. But the principle is the same, right? You have the social greeting and then you're making a con- and then you're asking a question or you're making a comment that is related to or it's about the other person. You know what? You, you've really given us a wealth of information. And I want to I change gears a little bit um, because, you know, when working with individuals who have social issues, we already have this challenge of helping them interact with people, helping them with the theory of mind, helping them with, you know, just, just being appropriate in a social setting. But then you add technology. How does technology affect social skills for your clients. I mean, I, I'm working with kids who have executive function challenges and I can see the impact that technology has on these kiddos' lives when they basically overuse technology. When they're on their games for hours and hours every single day, they miss out on social cues. They miss out on a lot of social interaction. And then you have COVID on top of all this. So what, do, what are you experiencing with your clients right now? Yeah, with, so with that's, all this that's a big one, right? Um, yeah. The technology, because we're, we're at a time, um, humans have never had technology before, and so that's changing our, our, the way we think, the way we act. And so we're, I, in, my, in my opinion, I think we're really in a place where 
um, maybe social communication is changing and is going to change from the way maybe we understood it, you know, back in the day where you didn't have technology and you communicated and, you know, you talked by the phone versus having interacting with social media, right? Like I know a lot of individuals, instead of going up and asking somebody on a date, they might, you know, shoot them a, a message on Instagram or, or, you know, something different. So even it, it's changing how we communicate. And I don't think we are, we can fully understand, you know, we don't fully understand how that's going to affect. But <clears throat> what I can say is like you said, the individuals who spend a lot of time on technology and video games are really missing out on those vital, vital, vital human interactions, right? Especially at a young age. Um, right. So uh, ASHA, which is the American Speech and Hearing Association, which is what speech language pathologists, it's the governing board for speech therapists. And they actually came out with a statement saying technology could be like secondhand smoke. Um, and you can, so, so, you know, if you smoke a, if your parents or individual smoke cigarettes, the child can pick up, you know, that secondhand smoke and that cancer. Well, same with technology, right? If a parent is on technology too much or the kiddos on technology too much, you can actually affect their social communication. And so, um, sure. They came out with a statement saying, you, you know, you've just got to be careful. Um, and then I would recommend limiting technology to about an hour a day, you know, hour and a half a day at most, because I have kids who spend 12 hours on the Internet a day, you know, 10 hours. And they're, they're <laughs> You're much more generous than I am. I actually don't like, I I say an hour per day at the most. In fact, when I see kids who have challenges with technology, I take it away during the week. I take all social, all their gaming, I take it away during the week and I make, and I have it set up so that they are earning that time back on the weekend. And the maximum that I would recommend on the weekend is two hours per day. The maximum. That's that's really awesome that you're doing that. Maybe I need, I need to start doing that, but yeah, right. Because you don't want, because technology is such a powerful thing that these kiddos will be like, nope, I want the technology over the, you know, over the human interaction. And I think part of it is because they can control the environment, right? They can control what's happening. Um, well, they're also getting the dopamine hit. They're, they're getting right, that exactly. dopamine hit yeah. over and over and over exactly. and over again. So, yeah. Exactly. So you kind of, it's, it's, in a, it's in a strange, we're in a strange place where you have, yeah, right, like a dopamine, right? It's almost like a drug. I want more, I want more, I want more. So it's a really, yeah. it's a fine balance. And I would say, yeah, maybe like an hour, like you were saying, maybe an hour a day or have some type of system that they can earn it. But don't just, I, I had a, just yeah, I had a student a, a few years ago who had a, who just literally, he would walk up and down the hallways to my office and he's still playing the game till the minute he sits down and I would ask him to remove his headphone. He he would he would even try to play games while he and I were trying to work together. So we took away his phone and his gaming for the week during the work week during the school week, and uh, I I told him that it would help him improve his social skills. And his argument was he only had one person that he was friends with, and he only played games with this person. Well, he was very angry with me. We took away the games. We restricted him during the week, gave him two hours each day on the weekends. You know what happened after we did this? The first week, he threw a complete temper tantrum. The second week, he started to go outside and skateboard. Then he started to play Pokemon. Then he started to have a new friend that lived next door. And all of a sudden, his world expanded. And he 
he had skill sets that he never thought he would have and he had friends he never thought he would have so it changes the dynamics of their lives when they when they play too much or you know when they play too much video games it's just not a healthy environment no right and that's really awesome and that's and that's the thing too that help parents you know and help parents understand is that initially you're going to see some pushback right they're going to be upset and they're going to then they might cry and they might throw tantrums. But once you get past that, they, they, everybody, every human has that need to connect socially. Um, I think that's, yes. that's innate in us. And so once you push past that point, you get to, like you were saying, you get to really see that individual blossom and, and you get to see that they do want that connection and, and you get to see it blossom when they're able to, um, when, they're, when they have more time and more opportunities to do other things than just play video games. Yeah, this particular child, he started um, playing with his sister more. He was on the trampoline, hanging out with her. They were riding their bikes. His social network, you know, expanded. His social skills grew. So, you know, technology can be a great thing, but too much of it is not a great thing. Right, right. And that's, um, and I find that really interesting because who knows what it's going to look like in 10, 15 years, right? Um, and so a part of what we're trying to do here at Inspire is also kind of help, help these individuals develop the social skills that we as humans have developed, you know, millennials, just a long time developing. And then, but we're all, I, we also understand that when technology is not going to go away and that we do have to contend with it. So how can we position ourselves to kind of be in that happy medium? But like, yeah, but like right. you're saying, once you're not paying attention and so absorbed in like technology, you start to pay attention to other people, the environment around you, and you really start to kind of develop a personality in who you are. Absolutely. And I think kids need to have many different experiences, not just technology. You, you know, technology, I think, is very limiting um, in certain ways. We have about right, right. three and a half minutes. You know, is there anything yeah. else that you want to talk about today before we end our, our time together? Uh, no, maybe just one last comment on that. But yeah, like you're saying, like, I think there's something called like a game called Roblox, right? Uh, yeah. Roblox, these kids kind of can create their own world, but it's already made for you versus maybe actually going out and doing imaginary play, right? Where you go out and you pretend. As a kid, I'd go out and build, you know, try to build a treehouse and we'd pretend and create these imaginary worlds ourselves. First, now it's working right. on a computer on a game for you. So there's, the, the, the parent, you know, kids need to make sure that, you know, having that imaginary play and going out and doing it and creating is so healthy for you versus just having something already created for you on a video game. Um, it, right. It's, um, it's just really interesting. Yeah, and I, and I think that can be a topic of conversation for hours. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a lot. I think lot that's a there. topic. Yeah, there's definitely a lot there. Um, I just want to remind our listeners that um, you did talk about tips on improving communication on the summit that we had back in June, the beginning of June, and that that presentation is still available to them if they want to go on the YouTube channel that I have. Fazia Costi is my YouTube channel. Or you can also find uh, Matthew's presentation on my website. And it's under the... um, blogs and webinars and seminars section of my website but um, it is under there and um, it's a very good presentation if you'd like to learn more about 
uh, tips on improving communication, feel free to go there and listen to um, Matthew's wonderful presentation there. Um, Matthew, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Can you tell our listeners once again how they can connect with you outside? Um, yeah. You know what? Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, thank you for having me, Fozzie. I really appreciate it. You're awesome to talk to. Um, well, you know, it's my pleasure. And if you do want to get a hold of us, um, our website is inspireservicesaz.com. You can also find us on social media, Facebook, and that's also Inspire Services AZ. Or give us a phone call at 480-468-6320. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Matthew. So one last, we just have a minute left. Is there any last-minute tips that you'd like to offer our listeners? Any, any last-minute words? Yeah, the big one is, if you're a parent or you're a caregiver, you are the expert of your child. And so if you think something is wrong or you think something's not right, go get that help. Um, don't do the wait and see like, oh, maybe we'll wait and see. Maybe he'll grow out of it. Uh, I encourage you to be an active participant. So if you do think something may be funny, go, you know, go ask your pediatrician or find a speech language pathologist because... They could give you, um, you could, we could do an active wait and see. So they could give you tips um, that can help improve the social communication while, um, while maybe not going to and getting a diagnosis yet, but being an active participant instead of just doing the wait and see if they'll grow out of it. Thank you so much, Matthew. And feel free to get in touch with me at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And if you'd like a free consultation, please call 480 Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.